Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Happy Tuesday night, everyone. We had our first big slate of games for the NBA preseason last night and wanted to talk a little bit about what we've seen so far, starting with the, the Pels Hawks game. And obviously, the place to start there is Zion. What were your overall impressions of his preseason debut? Physically, not not much of a surprise. I mean, he was just an absolute freight train in transition. Some of my favorite plays were them just finding finding him in those spots. That first dunk, kind of on John Collins, more around John Collins. No, that was actually Dam- that was actually Damian Jones. Oh, that was Damian Jones. Okay, John Collins was guarding him. And oh, he and he got past down. John Collins. Got it. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um. So so that was that was not a surprise. But the, what was most encouraging to me was how Alvin Gentry has already, and there's still a lot of time in camp, much less the season itself, figured out ways to do, to do something that is extremely important, which is get Zion in the half court, moving downhill when he catches the ball, because it's so hard to keep up with him in the first place. And if you he creates that kind of an advantage just because he moves more quickly than most guys his size, not that there are many guys his size, he he can just get an advantage and press that advantage and he's a capable passer and all that kind of stuff. So I think that Gentry's bigger challenges are in the half court and there there's there definitely still gonna be some hiccups and false starts because his their limitations and this team has weird spacing but i liked some of the wrinkles a lot of the wrinkles that we already saw yeah I, I agree with you it seemed like it was really only on set plays though that we saw zion getting the ball in those situations he seemed to be largely ignored in the course of, of the normal offense uh, watching brandon ingram in particular dribble the air out of the ball he had a nice third quarter but i think he really needs to make quicker decisions he was doing the DeRozan dribble into the mid-range not create an advantage and then pump fake and grind everything to a halt for a lot of the game i i think uh they don't really have anyone at small forward so they need him but i was pretty disappointed by i shouldn't say disappointed because i kind of realized this would happen but i think the, the fit of ingram offensively is gonna be a real bit of a monkey wrench zion's three-pointer doesn't look anywhere close to ready as we suspected he's four or seven from the free throw line and he's just got to get used to nba defenses and what they can do he had four turnovers he's trying to do some of those jump stops through the lane would get stripped down low also it could have had a much better night if he had just made a couple of pretty decent looks at layups uh, as well and then defensively I think he's got a long way to go. He looked better to me when he was playing center with uh, Nicola Melli uh, defensively when it was clear that he had the help responsibilities. I thought that he really got lost a few times when he was guarding shooters to not make the rotation that he needed to make on the pick and roll. He gave a couple dunks to Alex, Le- Alex Len as a result of uh, not helping off Jabari Parker on the weak side when it really was his help and you got to force him to throw that pass to the weak side instead and trust your teammates to make the rotation so he's got a long way to go you know the short wingspan did appear to uh, as well he had 
three steals and he's still you know the way he accelerates defensively to go after a loose ball or a steal is awesome so i, I think he was about uh, uh as advertised so far uh, a couple quick hitters on some of the other guys uh, in this game uh, lonzo balls reworked jump shot he was three of eight from downtown three of ten overall i mean he still is not really going to do much inside the arc in the half court but he got the team running at seven assists in 25 minutes and and for, his, for me yeah. the one there was that con- the confidence he had in that step back that was i think in the second yeah. quarter just, just just pulling that shot was really surprising to me and encouraging and it, it does look better and we've talked a lot and i think it's going to be a big theme this year for dunked on about how a big reason that shooting is important is because of where the positioning and the thought process of the defender and if lonzo's shot is better enough that defenders react more instinctively and get out to him, then that's going to make a huge difference, even if it's not, you know, 100% better yeah and his form looks a lot better he's shooting it more in front of his body he's definitely reworked to his shot to some degree you know he's not bringing it way over to the left side of his body as much Nikhil alexander walker was behind the other guards in the rotation became and played the last 15 minutes and he looked uh about just as good as he does in summer league i mean the guy just i mean he's very aggressive he had four turnovers you know i might understand if they're saying he's not ready yet but that guy uh really plays with a lot of confidence and swagger it's enjoyable to watch uh we didn't see much of Jackson Hayes, only the last five minutes. Jaleel Okafor appears to be ahead of him in the rotation, uh, as is uh, Nicola Melli, who I thought actually it didn't shoot amazingly from three, but I thought he didn't look out of place athletically. Now, let's keep in mind this is all against the Hawks' defense, which is uh, going to be atrocious. Yeah, um, it's, not, it's not robust. Also worth noting that the first quarter in this game had 32 possessions. It was wild. <laughs> on it was pace, so much damn fun. On pace for a 128-possession game, and it ended up at 115 uh but that was that was pretty crazy uh trey young didn't shoot it well from three but had 11 assists in 26 minutes he looks like he's added some strength and just tightened up his handle a little bit so i thought he looked good so for me the the biggest takeaway from the hawks perspective in this game was deandre hunter and hunter first of all he this is something i talked about in summer he didn't play that much but he looked appropriately sized you know like he didn't it it looked like he can defend nba forwards but he is more comfortable a shooting the nba three because for those who remember his shot was was a little bit he made a lot of them at UVA but it was a little bit awkward and it seemed like the the increased distance the NBA line I was concerned that it might take him time to adjust he looked more fluid than I expected but also just the confidence of the two dribbles three dribbles and a good decision and he looked better at that sort of thing now than I expected at the end of his rookie year and so that's really positive he still to me profiles as a lower usage guy which is no, no shame whatsoever in that not everybody you don't want everybody to be a high usage guy the teams wouldn't work that way as somebody who covered Monte Ellis and Steph Curry I understand this very well but that is a, a really good sign for the Hawks because something something that is important with the, the way they moved up for him is that Hunter if he can outgrow the box that they had for him that would be great but needing to be at least that good is extremely important yeah I think that Hunter defensively looked about like expected that is one-on-one defense he got beat a couple of times but looked passable didn't really make any plays uh, defensively uh, as a help guy uh cam reddish looked really good shooting the ball three or four uh, from downtown and jabari parker did not look particularly spelled um and then a couple other notes have been watched orlando and detroit as well markel fultz to me 
I'm not buying the new jumper necessarily from three. He did shoot one when the defense went under, but it's originating as waist. It takes him an hour to get it off. Doesn't look comfortable. He looks much more comfortable from the 15 foot range or so shooting the ball. But I thought I, there's been so much attention paid to his jumper, and he's the number one overall pick. And he seems to me, unless the jumper can somehow be miraculously discovered from three, that he's not never going to live up to that. But he still has pretty good size and athleticism. He looks much better with the ball in his hands. His shooting limitations aren't as much of an issue when he's just running that magic second unit. Playing him together with Michael Carter Williams may not work that well, but they had to get minutes for both those guys in the preseason. Hopefully, that's not a combination we'll see too much of. And so Fultz can still get in the lane he's been finding people these first couple of games I don't think he's going to necessarily be able to find a way to be efficient with his own offense but with his size his ability to get out in transition to get penetration set guys up I think he can still be an effective player ultimately it's just the star potential it's just really hard to see how he can be efficient enough to reach that kind of a level without the jump shot there's also a question of whether that player is worth 12 million dollars next year but I guess having his restricted rights, though that will have a big-ass qualifying offer if they choose to make him a restricted free agent, will be, you know, there's a benefit there if things work out well. Yeah, and Mo Bamba actually has looked pretty good. He had his second straight uh, pretty big game. And then for the Pistons, Christian Wood in the epic battle with Joe Johnson for the final roster spot, or maybe maybe Kyrie Thomas could be in danger there too, as I talked about with Dan uh, on Sunday night. Um, Let's shift now to uh, the overall news. Not much new as of this recording Tuesday morning on the China situation, other than that the Chinese Education Ministry canceled an NBA Cares event for the teams that are there and maybe there's a possibility these actual games could get canceled we'll see i mean it doesn't seem like any more developments have happened evan silver released a statement today again supporting daryl morey's right to free speech he said in an interview but now we have to deal with the consequences of that free speech and that he said that many people in china or the chinese government however you want to parse that it's often difficult to know how many people actually in china feel a certain way and how much of it is just manufactured outrage from their government but he's saying yes i understand why they're livid that's going a little far for me Uh, i guess understanding why is not necessarily agreeing with the position but in any event the league still hasn't addressed my biggest concern which was uh, i talked about extensively on yesterday's program with the the weibo tweet which really was pandering and calling maury's pro uh uh, maury's comments inappropriate and essentially siding against uh, the protests in hong kong which i i found quite inappropriate um what else we got here in terms of preseason news the most important remaining thing comes out of Toronto, where the NBA champions and Masai Ujiri agreed to an extension, a one-year extension with Kyle Lowry. And I, I already wrote about this at The Athletic. I happened to be awake at 3.45 a.m. Pacific time when this broke and wrote about it right at the time, because why not? And what is, it's significant for a couple reasons. The first one is this changes Toronto's approach to their their possibilities in terms of 2020 spending. Now, it, it appears by a lot of accounts that the Raptors are focused on 2021. That makes sense. 2020 free agency sucks. 2021 has some very good players that could be even stronger if one Giannis Antetokounmpo happens to be available. We'll see if that happens. But it also gives Kyle Lowry the security. It's uh, It would have been a weird free agent market because, especially for a veteran like him in his mid-30s, because there are a lot of teams with, there are a lot of teams that have space or looking younger 
better, and a lot of them already have point guards like the Hawks and the Grizz, so he wouldn't have been a great fit there. And so they basically, they get to give him a bunch of money in a year that isn't going to have that much of a consequence, and then they can move forward. Maybe it ends up being a situation where Lowry pulls a Dirk and takes a little bit less money to stay because of this, or he just does his own thing. Whatever They can do whatever they want. But I think this is a good piece of business for both sides, financially and emotionally for Lowry. And then for the Raptors, it, it makes it, it checks a lot of boxes because they didn't sacrifice that much. And it shows that they take care of their own and all that, which could be important for the next batch of free agents they want to woo. Yeah, in theory, overpaying Lowry, as you alluded to, could mean if he still can play and they want to build this next Raptors team, maybe he comes back for less than his market value with them having paid him more in this extension couple other notes there because this is only a one-year extension and there aren't any raises uh, above five percent he can still uh, be traded immediately he doesn't fall under the mellow rule uh that bars the extended trades over a, a certain amount i don't believe that he'll be traded i think this certainly makes it less likely that he would be but perhaps if he's really playing well it, it could lead to his trade value being increased but this does on the surface as you said seem like more of a move to get him closer to retiring it in a, a Raptors uniform and keep him around these next couple of years when he still projects to be a valuable player. Now, they probably overpaid him with that $31 million to get him to a, a agree now and to stay. We talked about how much space they had, which was well over $70 million. Now, that projects to go down to $45 million, and that's with the $7 million cap hold of Pascal Siakam. Sean Sharani reporting that Siakam, naturally, is seeking a, a max extension. Clearly, that has not yet been offered, or he would have signed it. So you mentioned that this is punting on 2020 cap space. We felt like they had so much they didn't know what to do with it. If they just extended Siakam, it wouldn't really hurt any flexibility that they wanted to have in 2020. Now you really do take a hit because if you sign Pascal Siakam in market value, you're lopping off about 20 million of your remaining flexibility. Of course, that 20 million is about how much room there is between the cap and the tax. So expecting them to spend all of that ultimately may not have been realistic regardless of whether they nominally had the space. So this would, would seem to me to be that they are not going to sign any big contracts next summer. They might have the flexibility. It also, to me, makes it more likely that the Siakam deal gets done. I don't know. Do you agree with that? Or do you think it's less likely now that the Siakam deal gets done with this Lowry extension? I actually think it's a little bit less likely because now the opportunity cost is a little bit more clear. And now they can think about it as, hey, we have 20 million or whatever to spend on guys and we can do that. And then we can do Siakam. But uh, it's hard to read. I'm not I'm not super confident in that. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. Uh, you can spin it either way here. Uh, to me, I think my approach would be hold off on Siaka unless he's willing to give a discount. And then this way you leave yourself enough room to make a big restricted free agent offer sheet if you want to do that next next year. And then, of course, you can always uh, bring Siakam back uh, with his restricted rights, uh, whatever deal he ends up uh, getting or uh, agree with him at the start of free agency and then just keep his cap hold on the, on the books until you do your other business uh, before he officially signs. In Miami, Eric Spolstra has agreed to a contract extension. Unbeknownst to us, he had one year left on his deal. 
and that extension will take him through 2025 unclear whether there's the usual team option or not maybe there won't be because he's got some pretty good stature uh also noteworthy with the heat james johnson missed the start of camp because he hasn't met the conditioning requirements for the team and supposedly he was like in awesome shape they're saying before he came in and then he comes in and he has been away from the team trying to meet these conditioning requirements we've seen that previously with Dion waiters uh, in past years and eric spolster said that kelly olenic is actually the favorite to start next to bam out of in the front court which is interesting you could still stagger those guys but that probably means that myers leonard is going to get some time in the rotation and they can use some shooting from him but you know overall he's never really been an effective rotation guy outside of game four against the warriors last year yeah and we'll have to see how their second unit defense would fare in those circumstances which i mean miami has so many good defenders whether that will whether that will come into play we go to the lakers next yeah, I think that's I think that's a good place to go. Um, Kyle Kuzma, many will remember that he he had the foot issue that caused him to pull out from Team USA. Not only is that causing him to miss training camp, but according to uh, Tanya Ganguly, Gangu is it Ganguly? I've never known how to pronounce her it, name. It's Ganguly. I, I think yeah. that that just got. It, uh, we, oh, oh, it was it was yeah. It's because I've I've met Tanya and I just I just can't remember it. Um, that there's a good chance that he will miss part of the regular season. That is definitely a concern. It also creates this interesting question for those of us who believe that Kuzma is not a particularly great fit with their starting lineup just because of the some of the structural yeah. who has the ball and everything maybe they find an equilibrium and then he that allows him to start on the second unit which is probably best so maybe that maybe it could be a silver lining for them but we'll have to see yeah and uh, Darius and I are going to talk a, a lot more about the Lakers uh, in a few minutes here in Memphis, uh, Kyle Anderson is slowly working his way back after thoracic outlet decompression surgery in April, but it looks like he's a, a full go for camp. John Morant did play uh, in their exhibition game against Maccabi Haifa a couple days ago. Looked like a looked pretty good. Uh, again, it's against a non-NBA competition, so we'll watch him a little bit more closely once uh, they really get into the preseason. And DeAnthony Melton is not participating in training camp right now. He's set to miss four to eight weeks due to a stress reaction in his back. Remember that Melton now on his third team actually showed a little bit of promise with Phoenix last year and it could have maybe been in the two guard rotation for the Grizz, but uh, he's going to have to get healthy first. Uh, in Houston, Tim McMahon noting that Ben McLemore has impressed Rockets coaches and management and is trending towards locking up a roster spot. Macklemore actually costs a, a little bit more than some of the other players at, at two million. Uh the Warriors have been beset by injuries. Kevon Looney has been out with the hamstring. No indication he's gonna miss the start of the season. We already talked about Willie Coy Stein being out uh, with that foot sprain. He's gonna miss the start of the season. Even uh Alan Smiley Geach is out for the foreseeable future after spraining his ankle early in camp. So they really only have one center available on the roster. That's Amari Spellman. Marquise Chris was signed to a training camp deal, but unfortunately, uh, as Anthony Slater wrote about today with a, a little help from yours truly, the hard cap prevents them from signing a 15th player unless they waive Alfonso McKinney who actually started the first preseason game of the three and obviously was there last year he's the only non-guaranteed guy that they have they can't go over that hard cap for any reason and they can't sign a 15th guy 
unless they are able to trade guys away which they don't have the assets to do as you've talked about extensively until march so definitely big time concerns for the warriors with, with some of these injuries their defense uh, looked atrocious uh, against the lakers in the chase center opening game the other night uh and so their depth could be a problem it seems like there's some momentum with you know a lot of players talking up how chris has looked in camp but remember he's going against the warriors defense so he probably looks pretty good <laughs> in, well, in camp right now and as i understand it chris could theoretically be eligible for a two-way if you were willing to accept it and the warriors would have to clear out one of their two-way guys which would presume be Bowman because Damian Lee is too good for a two-way in my opinion so you wouldn't want to let that go we'll, we'll keep an eye on that of course moving forward in Phoenix Mikhail Bridges has a right patella bone bruise and he has no table for return will be evaluated in seven to ten days we'll keep an eye on that and then Kelly Oubre he of a two-year contract has right wrist tendonitis also doesn't have a timetable re- be reevaluated in seven to ten days both clearly part of the Suns rotation I would expect at least one maybe both of them to start and the Suns are going to need all hands on deck to try to make well they're going to they're going to improve this year but to get to wherever their expectations are they're going to need those two guys and everyone else healthy in denver will barton has been limited to non-contact work so far he's uh dealing with uh, a hamstring issue and barton despite that big contract i'm not sure that he's actually uh, i mean i I'm skeptical that he's even worth rotation minutes. Hollinger wrote about that today in his Northwest Division preview, which was excellent. If he can't get more efficient, and they've got a lot of mouths to feed now at the three where he was supposed to be the starter with Michael Porter Jr., who we're going to hopefully get a look at tonight, and Jeremy Grant maybe could get some minutes there as well. Uh, Malik Beasley could also be pushing. Juancho Hernan Gomez uh, isn't dead yet. So we'll see where Barton is going to fit in here. He could also be a trade candidate potentially if there are other options that three are looking pretty good Darius Garland did play last night against uh, an Argentinian team it was he did not start it looked like uh, which was interesting but he's kind of working his way back in camp uh, and Tim Cato at the Athletics says he's been told that Kristaps Porzingis could miss anywhere from 15 to 20 games for load management Porzingis will not play tonight in their first preseason game he's supposed to play tomorrow night in the back-to-back and uh, in Chicago Chandler Hutchinson he's out two more weeks still as of a few days ago uh, with that hamstring issue at least two more weeks it could even be longer than that the Bulls uh, biggest weakness right now is the the lack of quality wings behind Zach Levine and Otto Porter looks like they're probably gonna have to play Sadoransky more at the two. Chris Dunn actually started in their game against the Bucks B team last night. We could go to New York where the Knicks are currently missing Damian Dotson. He has a right shoulder issue. He won't it doesn't look like he'll play in the preseason, but should be ready to start the season. That is a better prognosis than Reggie Bullock, who had that cervical disc herniation, which is why his why they reduced his contract between when it was agreed to and when it was signed. He's going to be reevaluated in November, so definitely out for the rest of October and Dennis Smith Jr. has a strained lower back he was unable to take part in practice on Saturday we'll keep an eye on on his status moving forward I mean the the Knicks are gonna have a lot of guys to evaluate Dennis Smith is certainly high on that list and the Knicks beat the Wizards on Monday despite Marcus Morris being ejected for hitting Justin Anderson in the head with the ball while he was holding the ball so that was fun and going to Washington 
CJ Miles is going to continue to miss time long, longer than two weeks. And Jan Mahinmi has Achilles pain. He is going to be reevaluated in six weeks, which normally, especially because Jan Mahinmi is one of those sour 16s, you'd be wondering, oh, well, that's not that big a deal, except that Jan Mahinmi is the best defensive player on the Wizards and their backup center. <laughs> uh, we're going to be saying that uh, all year, aren't we? Uh, quickly on Smith, supposedly this strained lower back is not related to the herniated uh, disc that he suffered last year that kept him out most of the rest of the year uh yeah the back injury that's not related to the other back injury is uh i never quite buy that one uh and also concerning that harry giles did not make the trip with sacramento to india to play against the pacers uh, he did have a precautionary MRI, came back clean, but of course, remember that surgically repaired left knee is why he missed his entire rookie year and uh, had a, a number of issues. I think it's one of those things where maybe ramping back up with camp, it caused him to have some soreness. Hopefully, this is something that can get managed, but fortunately for the Kings, they have a, a fair amount of depth at that position. Uh, for Brooklyn, Kenny Atkinson says he's going to play the matchups at center with Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan, which is encouraging to me. And Kyrie Irving did suffer a facial fracture. See whether he plays uh, in the these China games or whether these China games even happen. The NBA season is finally here. I'm just so excited about it because we finally get to see on the court how all those crazy moves in the free agent period played out. Anthony Davis on the Lakers, Paul George and Kawhi on the Clippers. So I'm going to be glued to the couch seeing how it all plays out. And I know you're going to be too if you listen to this podcast. So glue yourself to the best couch out there, which is Burrow. Your Burrow sofa can handle the rottiest game day hangout. It's got a kiln-dried Baltic birch frame, durable fabric that's naturally scratch and stain resistant. Our cats have tried to do their worst to the Burrow couch and it keeps on ticking. The beauty of it too is that it's totally customizable. You pick your fabric color, the leg finish, the armrest style, and the length. You can even add a chase lounge or an ottoman it's really modular too so you can add or remove seats uh, as needed Uh, we have a love seat but if we need to expand out we can get another cushion and put that in there took me about five minutes uh, to assemble it so that part was super easy they've got built-in usb chargers so you don't have to worry about your phone dying and they offer free one-week shipping you can have your new sofa set up by the start of the nba season if you want to don't settle for your same old couch. Settle into a comfy new Burrow sofa. Get $75 off a new sofa and that free one-week shipping at burrow.com slash capspace. Easy to remember because we talk about cap space all the time on the program. That's Burrow, like you burrow into it. Burrow.com, B-U-R-R-O-W, burrow.com slash capspace to get $75 off your new sofa. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Joining us now, Darius Soriano of Forum Blue and Gold to talk a little LA Lakers. We had a chance to see them in person. Uh, Darius is in the Bay Area, but uh, obviously follows uh, the Lakers. But we were there for that preseason game against Golden State. Uh, real quickly, before we get into just the, the team itself, was there anything that really stuck out to you in that uh, completely meaningless preseason game? Uh, from either side? Well, no, from, from the Lakers side. Uh, yeah. um, well, from the Lakers side, I thought that they were just a really big team. I thought that that was um, sort of magnified some by the lineups that Golden State threw out there. But the Lakers playing Davis at the four and then lining him up next to JaVale McGee and then Dwight Howard and then um, 
with LeBron playing next to Danny Green and then Avery Bradley. That was just a lot of size out on the floor at, at any given time. The Lakers seemed pretty, pretty committed to playing two, well, two traditional bigs for a long stretch of that first half when they were really playing their main guys. And when that was the case, they just did a lot on in terms of controlling both backboards. I at like at one point their offensive rebound rate rate was over forty well forty percent. So they were just just brutalizing the the Warriors on the offensive glass. And I kind of think that might be a trend for them this year. Yeah, you know, it kind of brought me back to those Lakers teams of yore with Lamar Odom and Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum. Uh, you know, they don't have centers that, that are quite in that class, but just when you would always hear the commentators talk about, oh, the Laker length, the Laker length. And that was really something uh, that stood out uh, maybe in this year when size uh, is back in vogue. Uh, but so I, I thought that was interesting. It looked a little better with the two traditional bigs than I expected. They had uh, ran a few minutes with Davis uh, at the five uh, towards the end of the half. And I think it, it does seem like there's still maybe a conception that that's uh, among their best lineups. Also, keep in mind that Kuzma was out too. So uh, trying to fit him in could likely end up at, at the expense of a center. But uh, let's talk a little bit now uh, about this Lakers team, how they look uh, with Davis uh just how do you see him fitting into this group, especially because, you know, they have the greatest player of all time, LeBron James, on the team? What's been the talk about what Davis's role is going to be here? I actually think that Davis is going to be the focal point of things on both ends of the floor. LeBron's done a pretty, he's been pretty upfront, I should say, throughout the summer and then into the start of train training camp and now the, the preseason about really sort of putting the onus on Davis to be the guy that they want to run things through offensively and Davis is clearly their best defensive player so I think on both ends of the floor Davis is being looked at as a true centerpiece um Davis is also I know that LeBron's obviously a top five scorer all time he passed Michael Jordan last season in career points scored but I'm not sure if there are many more um, explosive offensive players in the league than than Anthony Davis. I know James Harden, obviously, and Steph Curry can can get up there as well. But Davis, I, I mean, what did he play against Golden State? And I know it's just the preseason and whatnot, but I think he played, what, 18 or 19 minutes, and he had 22 points. Um I feel like Davis 17 in a completely dominant first quarter. Yeah, I'm, I mean, he was... Scoring at the basket at will. I, I mean, he he scored all of those points without his jumper even falling, really. I think he was one for six or one for seven or something like that on jump shots. The the one that he hit was that and one against Draymond Green where he got him up in the air and then drew some contact and banked in that, that jumper from about 18 feet. But the rest of his jumpers that were mostly, a lot of them were clean looks and he just missed those. And those are shots that Davis is totally capable of of knocking down two or three of those go win and he's got you know a 25 or 26 point half and making it look easy again that was just preseason but I think during the regular season Davis could probably put up 25 points in well well in his sleep if he's going to be a feature offensive player and playing off of LeBron James so I think that 
to me, he's looking like for sure, or angling at least, to be the Lakers' leading scorer this season. And it seems like LeBron is going to be more than content to be in that maybe 22 to 24 point range, but with a high volume of, of assists and really being able to play a more all-court game. Yeah, and it's interesting. We've heard LeBron talk this way before about how, you know, it was Kyrie's team in Cleveland. And ultimately, he did give Kyrie the freedom at the end of games, but he's their main off the dribble threat with this team. I'm really interested to see who's going to average more points a game. I suspect it. And I think it, from what you're saying, it sounds, uh, that you feel this way as well that it's going to be ad i mean I, I think people just because ad doesn't necessarily just like go abuse his man one-on-one all the time i think people just miss you know he can pile up these points because you know he's not really holding onto the ball for that long so you don't think of like oh he's just out there he's dominating but then you look up and it's like he's getting all these dunks at the rim he's making plays in, in transition he, he's a, an improved passer too but he, he doesn't hold onto the ball for a long time so you don't think of him as dominating but then you look up and he's got, you know, 25 points and a half or something like that. So I do think that they're going to really try to have him do more um, and certainly to make him comfortable. And also, by the way, he's a free agent next year and it's all kumbaya with Switch Paul and LeBron James and everyone now. But you, you never know. I mean, that's probably how they felt when Dwight Howard was coming in, too. So uh, I think keeping him happy in that regard, letting him make his mark on the league in a bigger market and get really solidify his position as a top five player seems like it's on the agenda for this year. Yeah, I think that I think all of those things are true. I think um, playing up to Davis's strengths as really a finisher, the point that you made, I think, about him not holding on to the ball a long time, that's that's a great one. And I think it's indicative, too, of the fact that so many of Davis's baskets are typically assisted. So he's not a super isolation hev- heavy player to, well, well, to begin with. He's definitely capable of doing that and working off of the dribble um, from really all of the way out to, to the three-point line. But for the most part, he's, you know, running pick and rolls and getting to, well, to the basket that way. He's running pick and pops and shooting spotted up jumpers. He's crashing the offensive glass and getting tip-ins. And so just like you said, before you know it, he's got five or six baskets at the rim. He's gotten fouled a few times. So he's at the foul line and suddenly he's at 20 points and you're wondering, well, how'd we really get there? Um, against the Warriors, there were a lot of sort of oohs and ahs plays with, you know, a follow dunk. A yeah, there's going to be a lot of those dunk. against the Warriors this year. Yeah, but <laughs> well, also, too, I think that with the Lakers um, in general, the one one of the one ways that I think that Davis really fits well off off of LeBron is he's such a springy athlete and he's so good go going to well to the offensive glass and lebron is still so very good at putting pressure right on the front of the rim both in the half court and and in transition to well situations and davis is not a lumbering big that's not going to be able to get up and down the court or crash the glass from the three-point line and then still be able to maybe turn and run and get back in well in transition so davis's ability to to sort of be a cleanup man with 
well, playing next to LeBron James, I think that he could easily get two or three baskets a game just off of cleaning up stuff around the basket after LeBron James is either put, putting the ball up on the backboard himself or driving and dishing and looking for AD that way. Yeah, it's real interesting to me. People are talking a lot about that LeBron AD pick and roll. And I think there's a number of very interesting facets to what that's going to look like. With that starting group with LeBron at the three and AD at the floor, yeah. Yeah, they're they're pretty supersized but like when cleveland had lebron at the three and kevin love at the four you just saw teams switch that a lot and i'm very interested to see if they do switch it is the idea going to be okay now we're going to throw it to ad and let him go to work against perhaps the smaller player in the post is lebron going to try to go one-on-one you know are they going to be able to move it quickly enough so they don't get stuck late in the clock and because they will have that traditional center on the floor for a lot of these times as well maybe there isn't enough space to iso if they switch that now you know it depends what team it is right if it's if it's golden state and alfonso mckinney you know they're they're not going to switch him onto ad you know they they played it traditional there's a lot of teams that don't have that size of the three but especially if you're going and say you know with the clippers with paul george and Kawhi leonard right are they going to put one of those guys on ad at the four and then switch that or maybe jamichael green could switch it i, I think that's could be a really interesting question of what that looks like and then do we see that work better if they go with ad at the five and lebron at the four yeah i think that all of those things are are open questions at this point especially when teams do have the ability to switch on the lakers and how the lakers are going to attack that right um that's when I'll be very interested to see what Frank Vogel's offensive um, philosophies look like and his creativity. Do they maybe start to go um, guard screens for LeBron James to get um, a point guard or a shooting guard size guy on on him so that he can maybe start to work that elbow area, that mid post area Um they did that a lot with the Cavs and they did it last year too with, well, with the Lakers with Lonzo Ball be, will becoming more of a primary screen setter for LeBron James ra- rather than using their big men to screen for him because they were switching so much. And, and so this is where I think the potential for, um, maybe Danny Green, LeBron James pick and rolls with Danny Green popping and putting defenses in situations where there's a real shooter who is screening for well, for LeBron. And if not a pure shoe shooter, then someone smaller where the switch that comes at that point is then a problematic mismatch where LeBron can then attack in ways that then compromise the defense and he can start to play drive and kick game. So the big weakness for this Lakers team, we've known it since uh, the beginning here, is basically guys who can dribble, right? I mean, if you're say going to look at this roster, the two guys who are really going to run, pick, and roll that are established rotation players are LeBron and Rondo. It's kind of looks like it's trending towards Rondo, not starting, at least as of now, they might start uh, Avery Bradley. But let's say, other than LeBron James, Anthony Davis, pick and roll, what are the other ways? I mean, they have great players, obviously, but what are the ways schematically that you expect to see them attack in the half court? I think they're going to run a fair amount of horns, um, horn sets with both Anthony Davis and LeBron James probably at the free throw line. One yeah. action so, they so that being when when they're going a little smaller with AD at the five, you think? Yeah, or even yes, I think that that will definitely be be the case when they go smaller. That they'll run some some horns actions. There was a set that the Lakers ran out of horns. I think it was in the second quarter when Rondo was was in the game. They um, 
Rondo initiated the offense. He entered into LeBron at the elbow. Davis was at the other elbow. Rondo cleared to the weak side corner where there was no one. So he was by himself. And then the Lakers proceeded to run um, an old Mike D'Antoni action, like elbow get is. Oh, yeah. Tip. That's one of my favorites. Uh, the uh, the Boris Dia, uh, Amari Stoudemire used to run that. That's right. Sean day. Marion a little bit too with, oh, sure, yeah. with Amari, right? And so... Davis set that screen. The Warriors were in a drop coverage, and so everyone played below the level of the screen. LeBron pulled up for an easy 15-foot jumper and buried it, right? And so I think that there will be actions like that. Um, I also think that there will be more. Another action that the Lakers ran when Rondo was in the game as well is they ran um, a pin-down action between LeBron and Anthony Davis where Davis screened for LeBron on the left side wing, and then LeBron came off and curled. Curled, got the he got the entry Davis's man showed LeBron pocket pass to Anthony Davis dunk right and so I think that there are both on and off ball actions where the Lakers plan to incorporate both LeBron and and Anthony Davis to put the defense in sort of these problematic positions you you know that said LeBron and Anthony Davis are both still elite offensive players as as individuals right and so you can always go to a LeBron post up or an Anthony Davis post up and tell them either create a shot for yourself or hopefully draw in a second defender where the Lakers can play the easiest type of basketball right where kick out swing swing three-pointer potentially for Danny Green at the shoulder shoulder at the shoulder area or or you know pass pass skip and then it's KCP or maybe Avery Bradley or even you know Rajon Rondo Quinn Cook Alex Caruso shoe shooting a spot up three-pointer against defenders who basically aren't going to rotate to them and if a defender is six or eight feet off those are shots that those guys are going to have to make so we'll see if they can do that at a high enough level but I think the basis of the Lakers offense is basically going to be playoff of a top five or six player in the league especially offensively and see what type of compromising positions you can put the defense in yeah I think that's a, a great way to put it because I think especially with Frank Vogel his teams have never been known for like amazing creativity and ball movement frankly they just don't have those type of players right Danny Green has made some strides but he's a, a very limited dribbler KCP has been a guy who teams have, have long lamented his decision making Avery Bradley is really you know best cast as a a spot up guy um so I, I think with a lot of their unit you know Jared Dudley yeah uh, Kuzma is maybe the one guy who who might do a, a little bit more scoring and I'm interested to talk to you about he, how he's going to fit in later but uh it seems like this is going to be a lot of set piece let's line up the chessboard we're going to this specific play this specific action to get our playmakers in position it's not going to be the beautiful game move the ball from side to side anybody can make a play anybody can make a pass type of thing I think it's going to really be hey we've got these 10 great set plays and set actions and we got great players you might know what's coming but you're not going to stop it and that's kind of the way LeBron has always liked to play himself right I mean he likes to have the ball in his hands he likes to be controlling things and you know especially if you get some shooting around him and AD I mean good luck stopping it yeah I think it'll be much more like 2013 heat than like 2013 spurs 
Yeah, that, that's an interesting way to put it, I think. And, and I mean, last year, of course, you know, it was, hey, we're going to get all these playmakers around LeBron. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I thought they did, they did their best to run plays where, you know, they got LeBron the ball at the elbow. There's cutters that, I mean, they really, they put so much pressure on the rim offensively, but they just couldn't hit a shot. And ultimately, uh, the offense really faltered by the end. So uh, I think this year, it's, it's going to be a simpler approach and a better one and obviously one to, uh, where they're going to have more talent i mean they just with lonzo and ingram and, and some of the non-shooters they had last year it was it was pretty tough so uh, let's talk a little bit about how the the rotation is or actually no, no let's talk about this now where is lebron this year like what did you think of his performance last year and you think he's gonna be better this year and how could that be the case or is he you know another slight decline perhaps it's hard to say honestly i thought lebron oscillated between invested and not invested last season um i think he was able to still get numbers but lebron can get numbers in his sleep right so i'm very interested to see um a more present LeBron who is going to be more engaged from possession to possession and and not oscillate so so well so much I think that he recognizes at least he should and I'm positive that he does the sort of wide open nature of the NBA this year and I think that I just expect him to be a more committed and focused player than he was last season. I also think that an off season like the way that he had and an ability to train a little bit more. I know that he he filmed a movie and he was obviously um on social media some and and he's a committed father and doing everything about seeing his sons play um AAU and summer basketball, but he looks in better shape to me this year at the same time than he was last year. So, I'm not sure if Better is what I would describe it as. I would say that he's going to be more committed and that should lead to more consistent play from him. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons to think that he's going to be better. The commitment, the fact that he has had more time to train for the first time in, you know, basically since his first couple of years in the league. Uh, just the fact that there's more shooting around him now. There's just better talent around to maximize what he wants to do and he can play the way that he's always played. He wasn't necessarily able to do that last year. Uh, and, and I also think that certainly when he came back from the groin issue, whether that was health, whether that was just knowing that they're they didn't have a chance and the house is crumbling around him, that even if they did get in, they weren't going to have any kind of a championship contention. Uh, but you know, I thought he was more engaged when they went out to whatever it was, like a 24 and 11 start or something like that. And then obviously yeah. things fell apart after the groin issue. And I agree with you. I think he looked pretty healthy to me in that game. Seeing him in person, he looked like a, the old LeBron, but he did have some troubling declines in his numbers last year. Uh, he kind of propped things up by shooting a lot more threes than he had, kind of because they needed him to do that. But the free throw percentage went down. I don't know if that's going to continue necessarily. Uh, but just his overall efficiency was not at that crazy, you know, 600 true shooting, super high usage level. It's a little bit lower. So you wonder, was that an artifact of the lack of spacing yeah being in a new system or is it hey the guy 34 years old he's gonna turn 35 uh in december yeah father the time comes for everyone right <clears throat> one of the one other thing that you didn't mention that i think is important to that we just we we just talked about anthony davis for a really long time right um playing off of a player that that good 
is bound to sort of help you be better as well, right? Like, I, I think we often talk about LeBron James within the context of how he can make his teammates better and what he does in terms of generating shots for those guys. And we talked about that some in terms of his ability to get Davis the types of open looks um, via his passing skills and the attention that LeBron draws as well. But Davis is going to do some of that for LeBron as well. And I don't think we should just... um Dis- will we'll disregard that as as um, a potential reason that LeBron can sort of bounce back a little bit in terms of his own efficiency. Yeah, and I think there's going to be a lot of players who are going to uh, ha- average a lot of assists. You know, I don't know if Russell Westbrook is going to be in that category anymore. He's been leading him for the, the last few years. You know, Trey Young is obviously a candidate, but I think LeBron has a, a decent chance of you know maybe cracking that ten assist barrier, especially if he starts and Rondo. Well, obviously he's going to start, but if 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 Rondo doesn't start, so. Th- that's maybe a way to transition into what these rotations uh, are going to look like what do you project uh, the starting lineup to be you know with uh, assuming that you know where kuzma is not going to start the regular season we can talk about how he fits in later but uh, as of now who do you think is their starting lineup opening night i think the starting lineup is likely going to be the one that started against the warriors with avery bradley essentially starting at point guard defensively um but it's just a spot-up guy offensively. And so Bradley, Danny Green, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and JaVale McGee is the group that I would project as the, as sort of the leader in the clubhouse at this point. Yeah, and Bradley had, was one of the worst players in the NBA with the Clippers last year, had a brief renaissance, but only over 14 games with Memphis, and that was driven by some hot two-point shooting as well. So yeah, I'm interested to see whether he can make shots, whether he tries to get into too many long twos. I think he'll probably be uh, disabused of that uh, by this point. Um, but yeah, I want to see like how his jump shot looks. And obviously, Bradley, I think, has slipped a little bit since his heyday. Defensively, he's known now as, as not being that great of a help defender. But I think the role that he's being asked to play on this team, uh, he could be a pretty good fit if he's making shots because they need someone on ball to defend point guards, you know, they because they don't have any other one else point guard size. And they're going to have a ton of help defense behind him. So he, it doesn't matter that he can't play help defense. And now he can really feel free to pressure with abandon and know that if he gets beat, he's going to have help there behind him. Yeah, Bradley has talked about that actually all training camp. Um, and he spoke about that um, in media availability after the Golden State game as well, where he basically just said that he's he's really excited to play with this group of big men who are known shot blockers and guys who can um, protect the front of the rim or the restricted area because it's just going to allow him to sort of ramp up his defensive aggressiveness at well, at the point of attack. And um, so I think putting Bradley sort sort of in that junkyard dog role, that chaser role, who's who's basically like, oh, okay, put me on the primary ball handler and let me pressure some full court. Um, let me get into guys at the point, well, point of attack. Let me try to turn guys and, and, and keep them off of screens using his length and, and, and sort of um, physical strength that he has on the ball in order to disrupt sets knowing that if a guy gets by him anthony davis is lurking javale mcgee is lurking maybe a dwight howard lebron james is probably going to be put on the 
other team's weakest offensive wing type of player. So he's likely going to be playing a little bit more free safety as well. So LeBron will be lurking. And so there's, there's just a lot of help behind him. And I think that he's looking forward to the opportunity to try to get back some of that reputation that just like you said, it has sort of lost some of its luster, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, so do you think it's between him and Rondo to start? Or is there anyone else who could get in that mix? I still have hopes for Alex Caruso, honestly. As a starter? As a starter. I, I, I There's no... Uh, maybe at, like, at some point during the year if he's just so good. But like, there's no way they can start the season with that, right? They just got too many like proud vets. Yeah, I think that that's... I think that that's the issue more so than how he would fit in that lineup. I think it actually is more sort of the um the the veteran guys who have strong reputations and are going to be a positive influence on the roster more so than Caruso's sort of lack of game or ability to be truly like a fifth wheel on or in in a lineup where his particular skill set I think actually matches up well with the rest of the guys I definitely agree with you defensively where he's been pretty impressive he plays hard he's also kind of a pest as well he's uh more athletic than uh a a balding guy with a mustache would uh would yes. make you believe yes uh and i'm concerned about uh his shooting ability though uh, i think you know he was 48 percent last year but that was only 50 attempts yeah, 50 attempts in, in 25 games so uh, i did like that he looked a little bit more aggressive he didn't play until the second half obviously in that preseason game i thought he was a little more aggressive shooting the ball but you know we didn't get to see him spotting up playing off of others i, I think he's a, a a already a quality backup point guard in the league you know i kind of think of him as a tj mcconnell type but like actually really has really good size and athleticism and can even switch on to twos to some degree but you know offensively i think he's kind of more uh, along those lines of like a a prober but not you know necessarily gonna create his own offense and just kind of get into the pain and look to set guys up um which i think but, yeah, yeah but i think that Go that's ahead. a valuable skill Sure. For this Lakers team, right? I like. Yeah, that's a great point. He can run a secondary or primary pick and roll. He is, he is a coach. Like, I mean, I know that these are cliches here, right? But he is a coach's son. He is smart. He understands spacing and ball movement. He understands angles offensively. He's a good off ball screener. He's a really good cutter. Um, these are all skills that will work really well in lineups playing off of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Um, the shooting is, I think, the biggest question mark with him, just like you said, 48%, but on only 53s last year. I tallied all of his three-point shoot, shooting numbers f- from both his time up in the NBA on his two-way contract with well, with the Lakers and all of his um, G League three well, well three-pointers and that's still a small sample i think it was something like 350 or 363 something like that but he's at 36 and a half percent on on the nba line right and to me what's going to be most important for whoever is in that role is 
can you hit enough threes to not keep the defense honest because you're not going to keep the defense honest when it's LeBron James and Anthony Davis. You have you actually have to make the defense pay for leaving you yeah. as often as you're going to be left, right? And and so if he can be a player who's shooting, you know, 37 to 39% on open threes, that's going to be a really dangerous player. Um, again, I'm throwing him in the mix as someone who I think could be a starting caliber player for for this Lakers team. But I do think that um, that Avery Bradley would be in front of him. I would not want to see Rondo starting in front of him, though, because I prefer Rondo as the bench guard who's going to rotate in um, and play limited minutes with LeBron, which is the opposite of what we saw against the Warriors. Yeah, and Vogel did state a a necessity to, to stagger those two. Now, I think, yeah, okay, you need somebody who can run the show and run pick and roll and blah, blah, but I still would actually just not play Rondo. I think he's just so bad defensively defensively and he just dribbles the air out of the ball so much and it just it's he just rondoizes the game <laughs> whenever he's out there you know i mean i'd rather that they just not play him at all i mean they're not going to do that um but i mean i mean i i said to you when we were hanging out at the game you know, and we were just talking about this team a little bit that i'm really really high on them except that they might just use rondo too much and that that could it really could torpedo a lot of things and rondo has a lot of equity with ad of course uh, from the Pelicans days, he just has a, a lot of equity overall, uh, just because of his stature in the league. Am I being too harsh on this idea that like they could play him too much and ruin everything? Uh, is he not as bad as as I'm saying he is? No, I think ruin everything is kind of strong, but I do think that, <laughs> but but I do think that he puts a cap on their ceiling if he's going to be playing some of the most important minutes of the game right? One of the reasons why I do not want to see Rondo starting at all is because a starting player is basically guaranteed three shifts in the game and most likely four. And and that's just too many minutes for him. Like he will be grandfathered into minutes that he does not deserve on or that he does not fit for on this specific roster. I could I could see it if the Lakers had... So I could see a formula where Rajon Rondo is is the starting point guard if LeBron James is Paul George and they have Anthony Davis, right? Where you're not necessarily yeah. going to put Paul George and say, well, you can you can capably run the offense and have a usage approaching 30 and say you can be a primary ball handler in the pick and roll and you can do all of these things as a setup man to prop up and like one of the league's best best offenses but the Lakers have that guy in LeBron they need a better skill set next to that guy and so I just much rather prefer Rondo to play you know 12 to 18 minutes a game um mostly play in the minutes where LeBron is not on the court and if he's going to share minutes with LeBron have them be low leverage minutes like overlapping in either the second or the third quarter yeah the, that makes uh, perfect sense and when they were on the floor together I mean, rondo came in very early with seven minutes left in the first quarter played almost the entire first half of, aside from that so he had a lot of time with lebron and you know maybe the rotation was a little messed up because it's just they wanted to play all their main guys in the first half and then not play them again uh but yeah i mean he, he spent a lot of time on the ball and 
LeBron spent a lot of time off the ball. Now, certainly there is an argument that, hey, LeBron can't run a pick and roll every single time down the floor in the regular season. Uh, but, you know, again, I don't know that Rondo is that much better offensively than Caruso is at this point. At least Caruso can get to the basket and finish a little bit. Rondo's a better passer, but, you know, they're probably about equal as shooters, you would say, at this point. And Rondo deserves credit for having taken some strides there, but he's still never going to get guarded. He only takes three per 36 minutes. So it, it, the, the volume is now. He did have one play where or one stretch where he took three in a row on three consecutive possessions against the Warriors. Good for him. Just, Good for yeah, him. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's open. You got to take it for sure. But <laughs> sure. Yeah, but I think defense is where there's just such a huge difference with him out there that's you know really the underrated weakness of him no he's uh, so, so he's yeah. probably the fifth best defensive guard on the lakers at this point right because I mean, he was terrible last year right do you agree with me on that yes defensively no well he yes he died on screens he did a lot of pointing um <laughs> when when it was taught like he called for unnecessary switches so that he didn't have to rotate yeah. as, as often he was just he didn't try as often yeah. and, and anytime he gets in the slightest physical mismatch he just like gives up and like backs away now. yeah like he, he, he he used to be like so physical and now he just doesn't even bother no like so he props up his defensive rebound numbers by being for sort of this weak side crasher but he does not get in there and mix it up with big guys when it's time to put a body on on a guy and and box out so he just doesn't battle in the way that you would want him to battle and for a lakers team last season especially and i think that this will be um less frequent this season but luke walton wanted to switch more last season and you needed luke walton needed physical guard play in in order to do that it's it's why lineups with like lonzo ball and josh hart and brandon ingram were able to hold up defensively it's because those guys were willing to battle in in switch situations with with big guys but rondo just wasn't willing to well to do it and and that's just not a trait that you can have when you're in these high leverage defensive possessions and you really need a stop like you just can't say oh well my big guy can go and clean up the mess that i leave for them especially if they're out on on a switch or or hedging high on pick and rolls or worried about a penetrating guard and rondo just died on a screen 20 25 feet away from from the basket you you know like i've 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 been very harsh on rondo um over the last season and then going into this season honestly i would have preferred the lakers did not bring bring him back but he is on this roster now i do think that he can be useful but to be a useful player he has to be in the right sized role and the role that he played on saturday against the warriors was just a little bit too big and i'd prefer to see that scaled back all right this has been the rondo bash podcast make sure to uh subscribe rate and review on itunes um (laughs) so uh where the hell does kyle kuzma fit into this group when he when he comes back i think that he's actually a good combo forward to play between davis and lebron um so so is you think he starts and he no. plays the three and uh, so you, no. you think he comes off the bench? I think he comes off the bench for sure. Even even if he was one hundred percent healthy through training camp, I do not see him starting. Um I think if he were to start, it would be at the expense of Anthony Davis's wants to not play as much center. And I think if you ask me and if you ask Frank Vogel what matters more, or if you ask Rob Palinka 
what matters more, right? From the organization, from the top, top down, the, what a bigger priority is probably keeping Anthony Davis happier. I think that yeah. Kuzma can be in closing lineups, and I think Davis will close um, more games than what is being implied at this point um, at center. And and so I think Kuzma can be, you know, the Lakers' sixth or seventh man. I think he's going to play 28 to 30 minutes a night. Um, I think he will play some at small forward um, when LeBron is off the floor. I think that he will play some at power forward when and slide in between LeBron and and Anthony Davis. I think when Davis is off the court and LeBron is in the game, him and Kuzma have a good chemistry together. Kuzma's a good cutter. He understands floor spacing. He did not shoot the ball well last year, and so that's a problem, but he shot the ball well as a rookie. I think he probably, this is maybe being optimistic, but I think that he finds his way closer to what he was as a rookie than thinking his second year numbers were the norm for him. Yeah, and just to to rehash that, 37% from three as a rookie, 30% in his second year, uh, and you know, frankly, he probably had more open attempts you would think uh, in his second year with them being so starved for shooting basically just about the exact same but he uh, took harder shots last season oh yeah from Uh, game to game so so some of his so he did get a fair amount of open shots but his shot selection was poor last season and so he shot a lot of walk-in three well well three pointers in in transition he he got a little bit shot happy right and and so last season with the way that the lakers roster was was constructed really their best couple of shooters at least before the trade deadline when they traded for reggie bullock were basically kyle kuzma and contavious caldwell pope right and so a lot of the same actions that they ran for kcp those those wide pin downs um stagger screen actions um spotting up and then rotating to to the shoulder area for kickout options they ran those same actions for Kyle Kuzma that they ran for KCP and so i actually think Kuzma will get higher quality looks this season and that his shot selection will um be better just by necessity and based off of the types of lineups that he's in by playing next to Davis more and then playing next to LeBron in lineups where there's more spacing in general. So the drive and kick game will will be easier. And when he's slotted between both both of those guys, he's just going to eat less. That's just how it's going to be. Yeah. Real quickly here uh, on Kuzma, there are some who would say Cal Kuzma is really talented and he has like even future all-star potential. There are others who would say, hey, you know what? Like he looks pretty good as a scorer, but scoring is and shot creation is the most visible and perhaps overrated school in their uh, skill in the league. And he really doesn't do anything else well besides scoring on the ball. Which of those two camps would you say you're closer to? I'm probably closer to the first camp, but I think that both things are one are I think both things can be true and that both things yeah. are true. You know, I actually this is one of the reasons one one of the reasons why I'm I'm skewing more towards the first part is because I really liked that Kuzma got the time that he got 
with Team USA this summer, yeah. even though he did not make the final roster. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, in theory, they he would have made it, and he had this foot injury. So yeah, and I think, the, and maybe that's for better, right? Because the Lakers are back in China now. Um, sure. And he would have, you know, he he did go to Australia, and then he came back. But to go from Australia and then to China, then to come back to the mainland, and then to go back to China, China again. I was concerned about that level of travel for him, um, especially this close to the regular season. So I'd prefer him healthy, of course, but not making that team isn't the worst thing in the world for him, considering all of the reps that he got in terms of practice and um, some of the game situation and scrimmages that that he did get to participate in. But I like the fact that he played in that environment, that his points of emphasis were on the things that they were on, defense and rebounding. He talked a lot during his time with with Team USA about understanding that the things that Coach Popovich for Team USA was asking him to work on were the same things that he was going to have to work on and 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 be proficient at for the Lakers, right? But where it stands with Kuz Kuzma now, two of the players that I've compared Kuz Kuzma to a lot early in his career are Cedric Sabalos and um, Richard Lewis, right? But huh. so, sort of rangy forward types, um, and I yeah, think the the Lewis comparison is an interesting one. Yeah, he's not the shooter that Lewis was yeah. for sure, right? But but Kuzma is a legit six nine, six ten. Um he he can shoot and score the ball. I think he can be a floor spacing forward. Um and that's why I like his fit next to Davis and LeBron in lineups where Davis is at center. Yeah, and this is going to be a, a fascinating year for Kuzma, right? I mean, he's a star on the rise. He's the one that they kept, although, frankly, you know, it, it was never going to be any of the other ones just because they needed it for salary matching for the Davis trade. But, you know, clearly they decided to keep him, it, it would seem, and give up more future draft assets instead. Uh, and, you know, he's in, in LA, he just signed this deal with Puma, but it, it sounds like he very well could be coming off uh, the bench because, you know, they already have two power forwards in the starting lineup uh, who uh, <laughs> happen to be top 10 players uh, in the NBA. And so, I mean, if he, it's going to be hard for him to me to take this next step towards stardom this year due to uh, perhaps uh, just what the roles me. I think he could be like a big bench scorer uh, to be sure. But yeah, I'm really interested to see whether he can contribute to winning basketball. I mean, I think he's either got to get a lot better at some of those smaller things. I thought he took some strides forward defensively, but he wasn't necessarily a quality defensive player. But he's not like a defense rooting player if he's got other things around him. Uh, and then, or he's got to just get way more efficient offensively. I mean, he's below league average in true shooting and now you can't have that anymore you've got too many other good players on this team who should be able to, and he should be able to find a way to be more efficient now, i mean the good news is he kind of took a, a stride forward efficiency everywhere but from the three-point line you know he had similar true shooting uh his rookie year and his sophomore year despite the six percent drop in three-point shooting so if that can just rebound and he does everything else that he did last year then you know that's a way for him to get to that level of efficiency that i'm talking about but all right, all right let's uh let's talk about the closing lineup for this group who will it be and who should it be i think that both of those things will probably be the same and i think you're likely to see well so let's say this i think i have two different options for closing lineups between um i think that you could see 
Bradley, Green, LeBron, Kuzma, and Davis, right? So basically the starting lineup, but with Kuzma swapped in for a center. Or I think that you can see a lineup of Bradley, KCP, Green, LeBron, and Davis, where Kuzma is not closing and KCP is instead. Yeah, it's interesting. KCP, you know, has been kind of a uh, whipping boy among Lakers fans these last couple of years. I mean, he actually shot it okay. He was the, their best three-point shooter last year. Uh, I kind of like him more than Bradley. I think he's been much better than Bradley the last two years. It does seem like they want Bradley uh, in that starting group. So, I, I mean, I think a lot of it will just kind of depend on how well Bradley plays or who has it going. I mean, I could even see them taking Danny Green out of it sometimes when hmm. if they wanted to go bigger I mean I think Danny Green should be in there basically all the time but there's just it's like he can just if he goes one for six in the game it just like it just seems like so bad for him somehow where it's just like oh Danny Green is unplayable you know he has like a couple sure. of bad shooting games so I, I don't advocate for that but it just seems like that always kind of happens to him where he hits a rough patch shooting and people forget about his defense and I mean, he's he's never going to not get guarded out there, but you know, well, he seems like very streaky. Where he'll just hit five threes one game, and then he'll be one for eight the next. Well, so. Green, do, you you mentioned it earlier, right? But Green just doesn't do much else offensively. You know, he yeah. he he cannot initiate the offense. He cannot really attack in pick and roll. Um, he is not a great like when someone close closes down his shoe shooting space like a show and go player where he can get all the way to to the rim and finish through through contact or or draw help and then kick out that's just not his game and so if the shot isn't falling um and you have maybe a comparable defensive player or someone who is maybe a better matchup defensively we saw it in the finals last year right where basically um they they said you know what Kyle Lowry is going to play he needs to stay stay in the game but Van Vliet's the best guy to guard Curry so who's the odd man out the odd man out is Danny Green right and yeah. and, and and so if if the Lakers are playing maybe a matchup where it's two small guards and then uh three big forwards and a center that Davis can can match up with then maybe it is KCP and Avery Bradley who are the two guards and and, and sort of chasing you know uh like a McCollum and Dame Lillard around yeah I also think that maybe especially if they go with KCP that they could do more switching with that uh that group I think you know KCP is not incredibly strong but especially if they have good communication behind and they can pass his man off AD can stay in front of just about anybody you know LeBron it depends we'll see how he looks this year uh one-on-one um but you know generally guys are kind of loath to attack him so i, I think that's a green can guard just about anybody uh, so I, I think that that would be a really interesting look one um, one of the things that i like yeah. about um the those three sort of guard defenders right bradley green and um kcp is that they both have very good individual strengths in specific areas that matter for perimeter defense um avery bradley we already talked about him as being real about his strengths being at well at the point of attack kcp is really good at sort of staying connected through screens he is a great lock and trail player he knows how to shoot the gap defensively against screens and get in the passing lane and Danny Green I you know I listened to you and Danny talk about um 
help and shot blocking guards a lot. And Danny Green is a guy who I know that you always sing his his praises as as one of the better sort of transition and shot blocking guards. And he's he he just really shows great help instincts as as a weak side player who can guard the wing. And so if you can play there there will be times where those three skill sets are going to be super important to be on the floor all at the same time and i could see then when you may call for a closing lineup that calls for those three skill sets over maybe some of the more shot creation and size that kyle kuzma brings to the court all right let's do a quick lightning round on some of the other players that we haven't talked about yet and maybe how you see their role uh playing out um and and whether you think they'll be in the rotation when everyone's healthy let's start with uh quinn cook yeah, I'm not sure about Cook, honestly. I think he's going to be in a dogfight for minutes with Alex Caruso. Um, I do think that his shooting will will be valuable, especially in pick-and-roll situations. Um, I But I think that if Rondo is going to be essentially your, your backup point guard, that it may come down to what Vogel values more or what matters more on any given night, the shooting ability and floor spacing that Cook can provide or maybe the more rugged defense that Caruso can provide yeah i mean and we'll see whether avery bradley is hitting shots or not i mean they may just decide hey we need we need to get someone out here but yeah i I do think that he's probably not gonna be in the rotation uh early on and you know but i think he's a a reasonable backup option if needed uh troy daniels do you think he's similarly break glass in case of emergency yes and i think that he's even behind cook in that scenario there's just the Lakers don't have a lot of big names at guard, but they have a lot of guards. And yep. Daniels, I think he was the first signing announced in free agency. And he's probably now the guy, even though his skill set matters as just like a, a knockdown shooter, that I honestly think if the Lakers could do it all again and they knew their offseason was going to go exactly how it did, they would have probably used that spot on um, a more versatile defensive wing who could guard bigger wings like yeah. like a, a small forward type six seven six eight guy yeah i mean now those guys at the minimum are not uh particularly prevalent i mean i mean i think daniels to me is an okay regular season player he can hit shots you know he if he someone goes down he can play with lebron and you know at least to keep the offense coming. I, mean, I mean he is atrocious defensively in any kind of a one-on-one situation though um jared dudley yeah i think dudley is going to play um he's probably the fourth forward um i could if i could envision lineups where if lebron is not in the game and davis or even if like maybe and davis is not in the game either that it could be dudley and kuzma as well well as the forwards next to like javel or dwight with like let's say danny green and rajon rondo where you've got floor spacing interchangeable parts at the forward spots and then and um, a pick and roll dive man lob will will lob threat next next to Rondo. So I could envision that where that's sort of Dudley's role, where he's not going to play every single night, but when he does play, he'll he'll be in that you know twelve to fifteen min minute range, probably get two shifts. 
Yeah, and it's difficult to see him playing much more than that with his injury history uh, and age. And then Dwight kind of seems like it's just going to be, you know, there might be some nights where he doesn't play, especially when Kuzma comes back. Maybe they would go a little bit smaller uh, earlier. Um, it might go with Dudley instead of him. Or, you know, it'll be kind of like 10 minutes a game, uh, five minutes coming in for JaVale with you know three minutes left in the first quarter and then JaVale comes back in with seven minutes left and maybe a little bit more than 10 minutes but JaVale comes back in and then they close the half with with AD you know it seems like one stint per half kind of looks like his destiny you agree with me there yeah I think Dwight could be a two shift player maybe a three shift player I also think too that if there are games where Davis is rolling or the Lakers are up big um or they're basically in in control and there's not a need to play Davis a lot at the five that you could see JaVale and Dwight you know basically play 44 42 minutes combined yeah it seems pretty clear to me that McGee is better than Dwight though and obviously also as the the he was here last year they've got a longer contractual commitment to I mean I think Dwight is still a great defensive rebounder and I think when he's in position and he can really load up he can protect the basket but uh his his lift the quick explosiveness seems gone and I think it, it sure looked like he was struggling to finish around the basket. He looked in, stiff in on Warriors game. He 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 looked stiff offensively. I like the way that he slid his feet in space um in drop coverage in the pick and roll um and i like the work that he did on the offensive glass as well again you know the warriors didn't didn't have a lot of size but he was basically just getting in there and tipping a lot of ball balls out and i think that he's going to have some value there as just sort of your journeyman backup big who can play 15 to 20 minutes a night if well if you need him to but is more likely going to be like well well like you said maybe be a, a 12 to 14 minute a night guy instead what do you see as the big strengths for this group that we haven't hit on yet um i think we've we've touched on a lot of them just size length um obviously lebron and anthony davis that, that that's the starting point for wolfer's strengths i think that they can be a good defensive team i've i've heard you talk about them defensively on a couple of earlier pods and i'm sort of in alignment with you i think if things break right for them they could be sort of in the top third of the league or hovering around there um I think that they can be a good shooting team considering the types of looks this team is is likely to generate so but i think we yeah, hit yeah. Most, to, most to hit on that briefly i think like they're gonna be awesome finishing around the rim i mean lebron is maybe the greatest finisher as a perimeter player ever ad is unbelievable mcgee is fantastic i mean and then i think they've got a lot of guys who do nothing but shoot three pointers so there's gonna be a get up a lot of threes and hopefully they'll hit a fair amount of those and then you know really the only guys who are gonna be shooting from mid-range probably is gonna be like you know ad on the occasional pick and pop and he's a good mid-range shooter so i, I think that they really I think their shot distribution is going to be huh. a lot better than say it was last year yeah i also think too we we talked about this before but i think this team is going to be a killer rebounding team man on, yeah. on like both ends yeah. on both ends of the floor you you know date whether it's davis or lebron or 
even JaVale and Dwight, those guys are just going to put pressure on both backboards. And I think that's going to impact the way that teams are able to run on them um, in well, 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 in transition. And I think it's going to allow Davis to sort of leak out a little bit more when they're playing in two traditional big lineups, considering the way that LeBron and either JaVale or Dwight like to get after the defensive rebounds. What kind of pace do you think they're going to play out offensively? You know, I've been struggling with this one myself. I think they're going to be slow. Yeah, I would imagine that they would probably be like league average or in the bottom half of the league. I'm not sure if they're going to be in the bottom third of the league, but that wouldn't surprise me either. Um, you you know, this is this is the area where I think that Kuzma can actually help them. Um he is a guy who does like to grab, grab and go. He he does like to leak out. He can fill fill a lane. And I think in lineups where you have LeBron, AD, Kuzma, um, that those are the three guys who can like get out and transition strategically with LeBron more so. But I think that Davison and Kuzma are ready to run. And in lineups where they're with Rondo, Rondo does like to throw the ball ahead, especially to big men who give him assist opportunities. So I do think that they will strategically run and that will probably prop up their pace because again, they're going to be good on the defensive glass and and those can turn into running opportunities. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I did, as much as I, time as I just spent shitting on Rondo, like that's the one thing that he does provide is pushing the pace. And I think I would be very surprised if we look on cleaning the glass at the end of the year and you'll see their pace is much faster with Rondo than without because i mean you just you don't lebron is really the only guard who's going to push the ball if if we go with that starting lineup that you're talking about without ronda and maybe ad will do some grabbing and going i expect to see that as well and he is a good transition big you know he came out of that new orleans system javel likes to run the floor so i'm I, my guess is especially if lebron is their only main ball handler you know he's just not gonna have the energy at his age to just push it like crazy every single time um and but you you do have some guys who can play in transition kcp is a pretty good transition player they do they did run at least the guys who are left over from last year but vogel is not really like a, a push it running type of coach he's you know all the dialogue has been about oh, we're gonna knock some heads we're gonna be physical and they, they got a good group to do that i think so and, and they got the ultimate half court chess piece in lebron so my guess is gonna be when rondo is off the floor they're they're gonna take it pretty slow but i don't know that it'll necessarily be to their detriment frankly yeah i'm not exactly sure i think that they're gonna have the ultimate luxury of being able to play fast or slow just based off the fact that they've got lebron and davis and yeah and if you play ad at center you know you're probably you'll probably play faster in those rooms yeah that's right that's right um let's see any other uh post-up play i mean i think it's something that's gonna gonna be pretty good for these guys uh and i think the shooting is gonna be at least adequate um how about weaknesses any any come to mind for you um we talked about other than dribbling yeah no well i mean look like non-lebron playmaking for teammates you you know davis improved as a playmaker last year i think he averaged a career high four assists last season with the pelicans um they did put the ball in his hands a little bit more and let him sort of play in space and short roll they're gonna need him to do that they will because and that was one of the areas where it was i think disappointing um for the demarcus cousins injury right because i had written this piece during the offseason that the lakers were likely going to play through their bigs a fair amount because 
because their bigs, especially if you include LeBron in in that conversation, were really their best playmakers for for others because of their ability to score as well. So, but for this team now without Cousins, it, it's basically LeBron as a playmaker. Um, Rondo can do it, but we've talked about his his limitations as as a shooter. Who's next after that? I, I mean, Caruso, right? Like who's yeah. like who's going to create shots for for others? So I think they are going to have to lean on Davis a fair amount there. What about weaknesses another for you? Thing, uh, another thing, actually, this is probably a strength to me, is that especially when Rondo is off the floor, I think avoiding turnovers. Mm. Uh, AD is one of the lowest turnover players you're ever going to see, again, because he finishes possession so quickly, as we talked about in the open. LeBron, you know, he'll turn over sometimes when you consider his load. He's very good at, at avoiding turnovers. And you just got a lot of low turnover play finisher types here. But then when Rondo comes in, you know, 22% turnover rate, and he wants to pass the ball, he doesn't want to finish. And, uh, you know, Part of that is because he runs more fast break and you're going to turn over more that way. But especially if they don't run when Rondo is off the floor, that could lead to a pretty low turnover rate uh, as well. So I, I think that's something that could be an underrated aspect of their offense. I think the, the possession game, you mentioned the rebounding, avoiding turnovers. I don't know if they're going to be a great turnover forcing team. Like that might be a, a weakness. They don't really have anyone who's an unbelievable ball hawk. Uh, I guess KCP and Danny Green are, are okay there. But um, yeah, and but yeah, I think they'll probably be about average. In that respect yeah we'll also see how much lebron um tries to get into passing lanes this year he seemed very content to just sort of hover around the painted area and really not ramp up defensively until crucial moments of the game i'll be interested to see if he locks in a little bit more (laughs) he'll need to but but if he goes back to sort of some some of that oh well let me hunt some steals let me get out and transition a little bit more but yeah i think you're right i also think that vogel schemes have typically been fairly conservative they've been keep people in front front of you challenge shots with length control the defensive glass and then go the other way right and so if yeah. so if he sticks with that as sort of a core tenant of his defensive philosophy then we're maybe not likely to see a lot of guys pressuring passing lanes like that getting to the foul line is something they should be a lot better at uh, this year and then actually making their free throws uh you know no ingram who was in the 60s ball didn't get there much but he uh <laughs> didn't shoot it particularly well lebron should hopefully be better than 70 percent this year after a, a drop off last year so that's another one um uh, all right you want to uh get into some predictions yeah here? let's do it all right uh I will go first. I'm going to pick 53 wins uh, for this group. Uh, I don't know if I'm quite ready to do a playoff prediction yet, especially because, you know, we're going to see so many changes with these teams. I'll, I'll probably do that in my episode right before the season, who the champion is going to be. But I, I certainly am not ruling out like a, a trip to the finals and an NBA championship from this group. And, and a lot of it is just, you know, how is LeBron going to look and um, you know, how, how does AD fit in and, and is Vogel able to get all these interesting and talented pieces to work together and avoid some pitfalls but i think 53 wins with these guys uh is what i'm looking at so i'm actually going over on the lakers for once yeah i had i had one lower than you i had them 52 and 30 um yeah you you know i just feel like that sounds about right um the west is going to be a bloodbath again 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that could kind of take, I mean, it's people overrate the disparity, but it can be as much as like two wins if you're in the harder conference. Yeah. I just think that there's just a lot of competition. Um, and you know this from following the Warriors, but, um, a team like the Lakers, they get a lot of teams best shot. They'll be on national yeah. TV a ton. Those are big games for the opponent too. Yeah. Um, but what do you think their mentality is going to be like this year too because i was kind of thinking they've had so many disappointing years last year was a disappointing year you know it is lebron he kind of usually takes it pretty easy during the regular season but like you know ad is coming over he's got something to prove they got all these vets now like i actually was thinking that like they're gonna start off pretty aggressively in terms of minutes and you know not necessarily resting guys right away and like just you know, that it's not gonna just be like chill mode to start the season because hey the west is so bad and they've seen things go wrong so bad that they just miss the playoffs completely like they don't have the luxury of just kind of take it easy and we'll peak in the playoffs like i think they need to show a high level of play at least early and maybe then you know if you're okay you can ramp it down later what, what do you think of no that? i definitely agree with that and there was a and they talked about this after the game um i think the questions led them in this area as well but um you were in the arena on saturday there was a seriousness to them for it being you know the first preseason game right like yeah they came out um they came out aggressive on both sides of well of the ball and they looked like a team that was sort sort of ready to play um yeah well and you consider too lebron and ad like ad's season basically ended when he made the trade request he hasn't like played basketball since then lebron basically hasn't played you know and these guys are like gotta be just raring to go at this yes point. well also too their schedule so their schedule starts out a uh, sort of soft which is yeah it usually seems to for the lakers and then and then they because they have all the hard national tv games in, after the super Bowl. yeah and, and then they've got that grammy trip right that wraps typically around the all-star break and there's just um a lot of backloaded games for them and so i 100 percent agree that frank vogel's been saying oh it's gonna take some time and yeah. doing a lot frank of coach vogel speak. even has got jason kidd staring over his shoulder like he can't afford a bad start no he's so vogel's been playing it a certain way about i think trying to set expectations for this this team and and trying to keep things at a certain level but i can guarantee you they've they know what the schedule is they know that they've got a big chunk of games at the start of the season against teams who were not in the playoffs last season and in the western conference the best thing that you can do is bank wins to keep those to give you that type of cushion so that if things do go a little bit wrong that they're ready that they can call on some of those reserve wins and say oh okay like we can absorb a two or three game losing streak and and not bury them in well 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 in the standings that was a problem last year right the the injuries came after christmas and at after that Christmas Day win over the Warriors, I think they were only four or six games over five, well, over 500. And that just wasn't a big enough cushion for them. Yeah. And, and they couldn't absorb all of those losses that came when, when all of the injuries hit. And so I think it'll be very key for them to come out with a seriousness and a mindset that is reflective of the sort of wide open path to a championship. 
Yeah, and I do think other than LeBron and AD, they've got pretty good depth. You know, there's no one that you look at. I mean, maybe Danny Green, uh, but as just a, their big wing defender. Uh, but other than those three guys, and Danny Green rarely seems to get injured except for a couple of years ago. Um, other than those three guys, I don't think there's like an injury that's going to really torpedo them. They've got plenty of guys waiting in the wings at, at most of these positions, I think. What do you think they rank it in offense and defense? I think in defense, they could... I think they probably settle in around and anywhere between 12th and 15th, actually. Um, and I think offensively, I would expect them to be in the top six to eight in the league. You, you know, like I, I just think with LeBron and Davis and the formula that they're trying to push forward this year versus the one that they used last year, I just really barring injury or something crazy happening. I just think the formula is there for them to be really scary offensively. Yeah. I, I like if they're going to go with the traditional bigs and, you know, they only have the one playmaker. I mean, I think there could be times when they could struggle a little bit more offensively against some really good defensive teams, but I think their defense is going to be pretty good. Like I, I really do. I think, uh, you know, AD is an underrated defensive player, but even with the no talent around him in new Orleans, when he was on the floor, they usually performed as a top 10 group. I think he's got really more defensive talent around him than he ever had in new Orleans. It was basically just him and drew holiday and that's it. So, uh, I mean, unless you want to go back to Omar Ashik, oh, sure. Yeah. You know, that was, that was, that was a while ago. So, um, you know, I think he makes a big difference and Danny Green makes a big difference and JaVale took some steps forward last year. I think they're going to really be able to totally barricade the paint you know, kind of and Vogel's style is to do that. You know, they could, I think they could kind of try that Milwaukee Bucks style a bit from last year yeah. where you're just not getting anything inside a, against these guys. Well, so, I also think yeah. too that if they can run people off of the three-point line and funnel them into all of that size, oh, yeah. it's just going to be problematic for teams and they're going to have to live in the mid-range because if you've got Davis or Dwight or JaVale back there, um those guys are going to contest shots at the rim. And if there's a second big then coming to help clean up the defensive glass and then LeBron James on top of that, then just like we said earlier, the defensive rebounding is going to be there. And so to me, if they, if, if they show a commitment to rotating out to the three point line to get guys off, off of that shot, I do think that they can be an even better defense than what I described uh, like just a minute ago. Yeah, so and and I think them being top ten on both offense and defense uh, is something that I, I I'm the more I think about it, the more I think that that that's probably gonna uh, I think it's yeah I think it's probably gonna happen. I think it's a greater than fifty percent chance they're top ten on on both ends. I mean, obviously it's the Lakers. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. Who knows about the coaching? They do have this issue uh, of you know nobody who can run a pick and roll other than LeBron still, uh, but. You know, I, I think uh, they have, other than that one weakness, I don't really see a big weakness on this team. So the, um, the only area that yeah. I would look to is that one extra defensive wing who could guard yeah. like the Kawhis and the Paul Georges, yeah. right? It, it's it's why Lakers have saucer eyes for Andre Iguodala, right? Yeah. Be, be, because he really is even more than the playmaking guard, I feel like when it gets to playoff time, the ball is going to be in LeBron's hands. His minutes are going to ramp up. And the thing that they're going to need is more defensive support around him on the wing to ensure that he could use up almost all his 
his energy to to dictate the flow of the game offensively yeah i mean the matchups when they play the clippers at full strength are gonna be fascinating is lebron gonna jar guard one of paul george and Kawhi? i mean danny green presumably he'll get one of those assignments um you know are they gonna have to go with kcp who's their only other guy who has some size would they consider putting ad on Kawhi potentially with, with their base group yeah. you know, are the Clippers going to play those guys at the two and the three or the three and the four would they put it's going to be what, yeah go ahead, no sorry. I was going to say would they put Avery Bradley maybe on Paul George as like a chaser yeah, I mean I I think I I think Paul would just shoot right over yeah him. I don't think that would like work. I like I mean me as well but if you then maybe tell LeBron you're going to guard eight you're going to guard um Patrick Beverly yeah. and be a roamer and and a helper can you mitigate some 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 of that i just think just like you said before the matchups are going to be super interesting and and that's going to come a lot down to coaching as well and, and two sort of eastern conference foes right from the late 2000s um yeah with, i don't think they ever actually that those two ever matched up no but i'm just saying just in terms yeah, of just, yeah just it, yeah no, just okay, the boston it, yeah. and indiana and and, sure. and all of that so yeah i mean and in theory lebron if he's really engaged i think you know it's really the foot speed that's his biggest issue right now uh and Kawhi isn't that fast and Kawhi likes to power through and lebron is uh pretty strong last time i checked yeah. but just the can he guard him on a you know throughout a game i mean that's that's a, a lot to ask a question yeah to me. it's, and, it's and, just a lot to ask yeah and i guess we could briefly hit on too the idea i know you got to go but the idea of the trade and the trade for Iguodala. i mean they really i don't think they can trade for Iguodala. really danny green would probably have to be in that deal because and they as we said we they need danny green danny green might be better than Iguodala at this point at least for what they need um because Iguodala is the limited shooting because they can't trade kcp without his consent i guess bradley could could be part of it but you got to get up to salary matching for 17 million so you got to get about 12 13 million or so to trade for Iguodala you can't trade JaVale without his consent um when you do one of these like four for one trades it can be kind of tough because then the other team has to wave a bunch of people beforehand yeah they they Um, so they do not have the ballast to trade for for Iguodala the players just like you said that would match with salary those are guys the Lakers want to supplement um an acquisition of Iguodala with right they want those guys on their roster even KCP right like you want as many wings on the team who can do any variety of things offensively and defensively and in order to build the most complementary lineups around your stars and and so you don't want to give up Bradley and you definitely don't want to give up Dan well well Danny Green and I actually think that's one of the issues that a lot of contender type teams are going to face and one of the issues that Memphis is going to run up against in terms of trade packages for Andre Guadala is they might be able to get the future pick but how are they going to match the salary when the players typically who make that type of money are guys who you still want on your roster while bringing Iguodala in? Yeah, and of course, the, their other problem is that uh, they're limited in terms of the picks that, that they can trade as well. They can't trade their 2021st as of now. They could do it at the draft, but they can't do it this season. And uh, with all the deferments and stuff, they're locked up. They can't even necessarily trade their 2026 first because there's a possibility 
that that 2024 first could get deferred to 2025 and then they would violate the sepian rule and they wouldn't have uh the, the ability to trade that pick because there's a possibility they wouldn't have their pick two years in a row so yeah they, they are pretty limited there but kuzma i mean i don't think i wouldn't include him in the iguodala trade but uh i mean that's the ammunition but again the salary matching is just very different yeah kuzma makes um, less than two million dollars he'll be making more from puma this season than he will from from the los <laughs> angeles lakers yeah well it's i mean playing for the lakers has worked out pretty well for for some of these young guys uh, all right uh real quickly here best case scenario i see 60 wins i mean i like i said i don't see a glaring weakness on this group if lebron is the same guy that he's been and ad is the same guy that he's been and you got shooting and defense around those guys and the lack of playmakers isn't a huge issue like they could get to 60 wins why not yeah i saw them best realistic case at at around 57 58 wins but but i mean we're splitting hairs there right between your number and and that number i think that if there's no injuries that the defense clicks that um shooting for a lot of these players sort of return to career norms or 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 exceed that um I think if you have two or three of the Kuzma, Bradley, Caruso, KCP, and Cook group either bounce back or, or take a step forward in their development for the young players. And then if you have a relatively drama-free season, like you get that quick start, they're sort of playing with house money early on, that the narratives are, look how great Anthony Davis is playing, oh, LeBron is back, and... and they avoid sort of those narrative pitfalls that always seem to hit a, a team that's under the spotlight like like the Lakers are, that if the good vibes just go and go and go, that they could be, you you know, like, oh, a, a number one or number two seed and be sore, sort of hovering at that high 50s mark. Worst case scenario, I'd, I'd say 47 wins, maybe too much Rondo, Kuzma soaks up too many possessions from the other guys and doesn't really take a step forward with efficiency. And, you know, those those guys hurt their defense as well. Maybe AD misses 20 games. You know, again, we're not talking about catastrophic injuries, but, you know, he's had some some issues at times in his career. You know, maybe LeBron suffers another injury where he's out for a month. Um Although again, like that was that injury that he had was a pretty freak occurrence, you know, uh, where it was just a, an acute contact injury that caused that that groin issue. So hopefully he can get back to being an Iron Man. But yeah, I think you know I could see forty seven wins as a worst case scenario, and maybe that's out of the playoffs if the rest of the West does really well. Yeah, I had them at four forty six as like a realistic worst case. <clears throat> um, just like you said, injuries. Um, I also think if Vogel falls in love with um with lineups or poor lineup fits, you mentioned like too much Rondo, so too much Rondo and LeBron. Maybe he doesn't play Davis at center enough when 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 it's called for. Um I think if maybe they don't have the wing defense or an injury, um you know you mentioned that if like yeah. if maybe danny Green yeah. just falls off a cliff too at age this is age 33 season well, well, right like maybe he's such a key player well i would say say this too that look danny green shot 45 percent from three last season yeah that's not happening and, so the 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 last season where he shot 40 percent or higher before this past season was 2014-15 and so if his numbers dip um that yeah. could be a problem if he misses. T- I think he'll he'll be like thirty eight. 
percent, thirty nine percent. Yeah, and but if he misses time to injury, then you start to like. I think they're going to defend. They're they're really going to depend on Danny Green to guard the other team's best wing offensive player, um, especially if that player is a shooting guard or a small forward, in order to sort of rest LeBron on that side of the floor. So if something happens to Green, um, if there's a lot of like drama with with the team, the kid Vogel stuff flares Impossible. up. Impossible. Impossible. <laughs> that that could never happen. That's right. Right. But you 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 know, there's all those little narrative things. Things that can turn into tricky morale. Maybe then Davis's free agency questions start start to pop up. Yeah. There are just things out there that are lurking um, that could become problem well problematic. Like those are worst case scenarios to me, and I'm not predicting or anticipating those. But it's the Los Angeles Lakers. You never know what sort of around the corner for a team that's this high profile. And and every and you know this from covering the league for a long time. It it doesn't really matter what's going on with the Lakers. Everyone is going to know about it because they're just a point of interest around the league. And and yeah, and, and they're not exactly a leak proof organization. They're not not with a former agent running the front office operations. All right. Well, thanks, man. This was fantastic. Uh, let everyone know where you you can uh, or they can catch up with, with your work here. No, so go. you can find me at foreignblueandgold.com. Um, that's where you can find all of my writing on Twitter at Forum Blue Gold. So, you know, follow me there. Um, I do a podcast as two, um, Laker Film Room podcast. You can catch me if you didn't get tired of listening to me talk. You can listen to me talk more there. All right. Thanks again. Uh, appreciate it, Darius. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.